Come, Holy Spirit, and touch my lips. Come, Holy Spirit, and illuminate our minds. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill our hearts with love for you. Amen. Do be seated. I wonder if you have ever gone to someone to ask what you think is a pretty straightforward question to only be greeted with what sounds like gobbledygook or what seems to you an evasive answer at best. Politicians are best at this, I find, but it also happened to me the other week. At the moment, area deans are working with the deanery synod, PCCs and congregation members to review the structure of ministry that takes place across the deanery. For us, as Gloucester City Deanery, that means looking at the way in which ministry and mission are outworked, are lived out, across 16 different parishes in different contexts, combined with the cathedral, which sits at the heart of our deanery, Mariner's Church, and a local ecumenical partnership as well as a number of fresh expressions. If that last sentence doesn't make much sense to you, then either come and have a conversation with me at another time, or just let me assure you the task is very complex. Everyone has an idea of how it should be done. Trying to come down to some kind of consensus is proving to be tricky. So, the tricky other aspect of this is that I'm not entirely sure what the Bishop's Council wants to have on its desk when we have apparently come to some decision. So at the area deans meeting a couple of weeks ago, I asked what I thought was a very simple question. How, I asked, do you want us to present this plan to you? The answer I got was evasive to say the least. And instead, one of the archdeacons pointed me towards this passage from John. Come a bit more to that in a moment. I'm not sure it was brilliantly helpful at the time, as what I really want to know is, do the Bishop's Council want one side of A4, or do they want a 10,000-word dissertation with lots of graphs and diagrams? If I knew the parameters and the framework in which I was working, then as area dean, it might be a slightly less complex task for me to pull together. However, to start with, I was quite angry at the way in which the answer had come back. But as I went away to think about it and realized that today, for Trinity Sunday, this passage was also set, I began to set have a great sense of freedom. It isn't my decision. It wasn't my decision. It was, in fact, the work of the Trinity. And as I cry out to God, I cry out, Abba, Father, I don't know what to do. I don't know what's happening. How am I supposed to do this? Actually, the answer that comes back is you cry out with the Spirit. And because you are a child of God and because you are an heir of Christ, therefore the Trinity will lead you. The Spirit will lead you. And once again, I have to remind myself that I am a child of God, an heir of Christ. And when I cry out, I cry out with the Spirit, with the Creator and the Redeemer and the Sustainer. 
And that goes for all of us, every single one of us that is crying about, out about something about life or the world in which we live. We don't cry out alone, even if we are faced with a really complex situation. And we don't have people either side of us who are thinking exactly the same. We never cry out alone because we cry out with the Spirit to the Father who through Christ has given us a place. We are heirs in Christ, children of God, alongside Christ. <clears throat> and sometimes the questions that come to us in our life are really complex, aren't they? That's the big stuff of life, love and relationships. Do you love me? Do you want to continue with this relationship? Is this what we want for life? How can we work more closely together? Where do I go when I die? Shall we move house or job this year or next? <coughs> but sometimes the questions are about the smaller things of life. What would you like for your birthday? Where should we go to eat out? What shall we have for tea? And sometimes the answer is quick and easy, like pizza, of course. But then sometimes even the smaller questions can get complicated because there are different people's perceptions and hopes being brought together. So even if you decide on pizza for tea, who wants margarita, who wants pepperoni, and who wants ham and pineapple? Or do we get all three? It can actually become quite a complex thing. And in today's readings from Isaiah and from John, we see two people coming with what they probably think are straightforward questions. Isaiah with God in his vision and Nicodemus with Jesus under the cover of night. Isaiah sees God in the Holy of Holies inside the temple, which suggests he is a priest as well as a prophet, or at least a member of the temple's religious establishment. And in his vision, he cries out to God that he is a man of unclean lips, living amongst a people of unclean lips. And yet now he has seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Surely he is not worthy to have done that, to have seen this vision. And in his crying out, he is essentially asking the question, what now? I don't know what you want from me. Show me. A little bit like I am saying to the bishops, show me, just show me, what do you want? Who knows what answer Isaiah expected, but I'm sure he was a tad surprised when a seraph, a supernatural being, probably serpentine in form and associated with fire, flies directly toward him with a hot coal from the fire on the altar in a pair of tongs and touches his mouth with it. I don't know about you, but I would have been terrified. That is not the answer to the question I would have been seeking, either in a vision or in reality. But Isaiah's question is answered by the actions of the seraph, who has now cleansed his unclean lips and led, leads God to ask a question of Isaiah. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? A question answered with a question. But also that sense that Isaiah cries out to God in Trinity. And he is cleansed. 
because he cries out. Cleansed so much that he is then worthy to speak the words of God and in his turn to have a place with God. Nicodemus comes to Jesus under the cover of night for he is also a rabbi, a fellow teacher and a Pharisee, a member of the religious leadership. Light and dark imagery is important for John. Light symbolizes the presence of God and darkness and night, the absence of God. If Nicodemus seeks Jesus out in daylight, he may well be in trouble with the other Pharisees. He needs, he knows, to be careful. Maybe he has a thousand questions he wants to ask Jesus, but what he says comes out as a statement, really. Basically, you must be from God because of the things you are doing and the power within you to do these signs. But the underlying question is, how? How are you doing these things? Are you really from God? And even maybe, are you the Messiah? All very dangerous questions for a Pharisee at this time to be seen or heard asking. And again, there is no straightforward answer, but a statement from Jesus that only leads to another question. Jesus says, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. And Nicodemus is left wondering how anyone can be born a second time once they are old. Again, Jesus tells him something that just confuses him further. No one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of the water and the spirit. At the end of the discourse, Jesus asks a final question of Nicodemus. Are you a teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? A question answered with a question. Could be a question to us, couldn't it? Could be a question to me. Are you a vicar and you still don't understand these things? Did you really need me to remind you that your work is bound up in the work of the Trinity? You'd forgotten, hadn't you, and tried to step out by yourself. Tried to think that it was all up to you. Well, actually, it's never just up to you. Are you a Christian and yet you still don't understand these things? Are you an adult and you still don't understand these things? My experience this week in school has taught me that most children understand more things. And maybe it is time to be childlike. That's the experience I've had over the last couple of weeks. God's reminder to me, be childlike and cry out with the Spirit for those things you don't understand. But stop pretending that you do. For both Isaiah and Nicodemus, the answers are troubling and unnerving. And for me, the answer is troubling and unnerving. Because it means I have to let go have to let go of the control and I have to stop pretending that I have the answers. Well, actually, it is God who has the answers. 
but essentially for all of us, for Isaiah, for Nicodemus, for me, and for all of us here and wherever we are this morning. Essentially, the answer is to be born anew. Not just once, but every single day of our lives. The experience I had in school this week was a whole hour of being grilled, because that's the only words I could use, by these small children, seven, eight, and nine-year-olds, about the Lord's Prayer. But then we went slightly wider than that, like questions like, where, uh, if God wasn't born, how was God actually here? And one of the questions that I was asked was by this little boy who was seven. He said, does God only forgive you twice? Now, I don't know where he got that idea from. But explaining to him that, no, God forgave us every day because Jesus died and rose again for us. And because we are children of God and heirs in Christ, God forgives us every single day of our lives. His little face just lit up. And it was like as if literally weights had dropped off him. Now, I don't know what has been going on in his mind, but for a seven-year-old child to suddenly see that freedom in his face when he was told that God forgives you every day, every day you have a chance to be born anew in Christ because you are a children of God, you are a child of God, was an extraordinary moment in my week. An amazing moment. I just think if we could say that to people around us and they would accept it like that child did. Just accept it. Don't question it. Stop trying to be in control and stop trying to have the answers. Just accept you're part of the Trinity and go with it. From above translates in the Greek as born anew. The birth is not just a physical one, but a spiritual one. One that comes from cleansing and the realization that in Jesus, descent to earth to be born, his and therefore our ascent, will come from his crucifixion, resurrection and ascension. Who knows if Nicodemus stuck around or came back in the morning to hear the rest of the passage we have this morning. But Jesus builds upon what he has said. Jesus moves beyond Nicodemus to a wider audience, perhaps a new crowd in the morning, but definitely his words are for us too. We are part of the wider audience. He does not speak of eternal life as being some kind of immorali immorality, immortality, <laughs> that's a Freudian slip, isn't it? Or a future life in heaven, but it is a metaphor for living now in the unending presence of God. Jesus' offer of his own life through being lifted up on the cross makes eternal life possible for those who believe. This is the new life Jesus promised Nicodemus. It is the new life that he promises us too. We ascend to the Father because he loves us and sent Jesus to once and for all open the gates of glory to the presence of God. 
There is now no need for the likes of Isaiah to make atonement in the Holy of Holies for the people. Instead, it is up to the people to make repentance themselves and to make judgment for themselves. Isaiah will go and speak the words of God to the people, and he will talk of repentance, incarnation, suffering, death, crucifixion, and ascension for the servant king. Nicodemus will go and quietly speak of God to those who will listen, and ultimately will have a hand in taking the body of Jesus and burying it. He has come to believe along the way. And we too must also speak of God loudly or quietly, wherever it is asked of us or demanded from us by God. And the key to how we do that on this Trinity Sunday is to take verse 16 to heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. At the heart of this verse is the Trinity in action creator, the redeemer, and the sustainer together. The redeemer does not come of his own volition, but is sent by the creator and comes about in earthly form by the power of the spirit who sustains both mother and child as they grow, are born, and mature into adulthood. It is the creator at work on the cross, even when it looks like devastation, and it is the spirit who sustains the redeemer, even in that darkest of moments. It is the creator and the spirit that bring the redeemer up from the depths of death and hell into a new life. It is the creator and the sustainer who bear the redeemer back to have authority over all things. And it is the creator, the redeemer and the sustainer that invite us, you and me, each and every day to have eternal life. To live our lives in every moment as in the unending presence of God. It is the Trinity at work that leads us to notice the things of God and to respond to the answers we get when we have questions. It is impossible to define the Holy Trinity in words, but we see it here in God the Trinity taking the initiative and reaching out to us despite the sin and folly of the world. We are each personally invited to be born of the Spirit into a new relationship with God and into eternal life. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Note it is a question posed to Isaiah. But it could equally be a question posed to Jesus, or to you, or to me. And so, finally, we pray that Lord God would give us courage to be part of the answer to prayer. And when we ask, whom shall I send? Or when God asks, Whom shall I send? We pray, Lord, that you would free us from fear, that we may answer, Here am I. Send me. Amen.